for uh, Linda and myself. As you know, her brother unexpectedly died. Uh, so we, thank you, Darth. We flew back to Colorado and I was able to uh, officiate at his uh, funeral this past week in Lakewood, a little suburb of um, Denver. And then uh, her uncle also passed away. So it's been kind of hard for her family. She's still in Colorado with her mom and dad, but we just appreciate all of your prayers. Many of you sent texts and emails, and I see uh, there's several cards on my desk. I didn't get back till about 12.30 last night. I flew in. I was actually in Denver till about 6.30 last night, if you can believe that, and uh, flew to Seattle and then took that midnight flight with a lot of really somber, sad-looking Husky fans. There were probably eight or ten Husky fans they still had on their purple, but they weren't in a very good mood last night on that midnight flight. So we're not going to talk football. Anyway. Beginning Tuesday, I'm going to uh, introduce a, a new video cast. I just have felt led to do this for a while, and I thought, man, this is a good time to launch it. So beginning on uh, Tuesday of this week, and every week now for at least the next year or so, on our Facebook online page, I am going to produce a short video called Three Words. I'm just going to give you three words. I'm going to try to make uh, God's theology Simple enough that we can understand it in three words. God's truth in simple terms. And if you're not part of our Facebook online, this is on our regular Facebook page because that is kind of promotional. It's more outreach. There's a Facebook online page and you can subscribe to that. And every Tuesday, I uh, hope that that will be a blessing to you. Watch for it this coming Tuesday and every Tuesday, a new video cast called Three Words. This morning, we're going to uh, conclude the series that we started earlier this summer. In fact, all summer long, we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is uh, number six. In our series, we know that Paul was writing this from a Roman prison. Every week, we've been reflecting on how Paul's status as a prisoner could really speak to our lives as well. Because if we're honest, most of us need to admit that we are also in some kind of a prison. Maybe not a physical prison, but... All of us, because of COVID, all of us, because of the, the changes in the world, feel like we are imprisoned. We might not have everything the way that we would want it to be, yet we can still have freedom. That's why we've called this true freedom. True freedom is not about where you are physically, where you are financially, where you are relationally. True freedom is really knowing Jesus to that degree that Paul did, that we can be free. We can be free to be encouragers. We can be free to have peace. We can be free to be content. And that's the subject of today's message out of Philippians chapter 4. We all have things that trap us. 
you know, and we can relate to that. Um, but Paul was a, a free man. So this whole series has been about learning to rise above those prison walls of our life and discover what inner freedom is all about. So as we look into Philippians 4, I want to share, first of all, that when we talk about contentment, and that's the word that Paul actually uses, that we need to be content, and no matter what situation you find yourself in, you are free to be content. That's a powerful thing, but don't get it confused with being complacent. Complacent is like treading water, like you're just happy, you're, you don't have any kind of motivation to, to move forward, um, you've lost your desire to grow in the Lord, you're just complacent. That is not what Paul's talking about here. Contentment is not complacency. It doesn't mean that we don't have a spiritual desire to improve ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't have goals that we might improve our life here on earth and, and the provision that we can make for our family. But uh, by contentment, it's a powerful thing to have, but it's also easier to say you want to be content than to actually be content. Because we're driven by this uh, American mentality that we have to have more, we have to have more, we have to have more. And it's even crept into our churches. I told uh, Linda recently, we were together, and I said, you know, I just wish people would be content with Jesus. And I wasn't trying to be funny or, or cast judgment. But, you know, even in the church, people are always wanting more, more. It's not, a, Jesus is all we need, friends. Jesus, if you can cling to him, now he will bless you abundantly. But there is no, you know, supernatural level that we need to attain other than connecting with Jesus and allowing his Holy Spirit to flow through us. Now, in this context in Philippians, and I always like to look at it contextually, we have to remember Paul was a prisoner and he was not always provided even with his basic needs. I mean, they were dependent upon friends. The, the, the system of imprisonment wasn't the same as we have here in America. And in many countries even today, if your loved one's imprisoned, the family has to take them food. Now that's not true in America, but it's true in many countries and it was true here where Paul was. He was totally dependent upon his family, upon friends to bring him food, to wash his clothes. And it was in that context that Paul wrote the letter. Remember, he was excited because he had received a care package, a care package from his friends in Philippi. Remember, he's writing the letter to them, thanking them for this care package. I don't know what was in the care package, maybe some food, maybe some blankets, maybe some clothing. We know that it was delivered personally by another brother. And so at the very end of this letter that we've been studying, he acknowledges that gift. And in that acknowledgement, he shows us what true contentment really looks like. So let's read it, uh, our text today. Philippians 4, beginning with verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or if I have want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it was good of you to share in my troubles. He's thanking them for his care package. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So here we see the church and Philippi. Man, they not only prayed for Paul, they, they sent him things. They cared for him. And in verse 17, he says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. For I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am, I am um, supplied now. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Ephroditus the gifts that you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful portion of scripture. There are three things I, I want you to see here. The, the need that we need to be content, no matter what our situation is. The beauty of contentment that Paul talks about. And then finally, we're going to end with the secret of contentment. But let's talk about the need of contentment. The reason we need contentment is because we're all basically discontented people. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of who we are in our selfish nature. There's always something that we want. There's always something we want changed. There's always something in us that wants something differently. The, the grass is always greener on the other side. We are people who are basically discontented. And again, the American media and just the American culture has driven us to always want more, more, and more. Now, it's not new. Solomon in Ecclesiastes talked about it. You can look it up. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. This is what Solomon says. This is thousands of years before Paul. He says, whoever loves money will never have enough. Ever notice that? Whoever has money will never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. So Solomon, back in Ecclesiastes, says, you know, humans without the new life that we have found in Christ Jesus are basically going to be selfish. We're going to be discontented. And there was a landmark study by Princeton University back in 2010, so it's about 10 years old, they tried to correlate household income with happiness. You know what they found? 
After your basic needs are met, and we're talking about food, clothing, and housing, those basic needs, doesn't matter how much you make, doesn't matter how big your house is, doesn't matter how many cars you drive, they found there is absolutely no increase of day-to-day well-being and happiness once those three basic needs are met. It's interesting, isn't it? You can have a good night's sleep whether you're on a rollaway or whether you're in a king-size mattress. You know what I'm saying? We don't think we, but we can't. And that's what Solomon was observing here. We tend to love money. We tend to love things. We tend to love experiences, whether that's spiritual experiences or emotional experiences. You know, we're really satisfied with this roller coaster until we read about another roller coaster that goes five miles an hour faster. And then we think, oh man, we've got to go on that roller coaster. It's just the way that we are without contentment. And that's what Paul was saying here. Man, even if you continue to make more income all through your life, you're going to feel a lack and you're going to feel a desire for more if you don't embrace what Paul is saying here, the need that we have of simply being content. Look at verse 12 for a moment. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So Paul experienced life on both sides. Whether he was hungry, whether he had extra food in his pantry, he learned how to be content. And I think he purposely sets up this, you know, contrasting conditions, saying, I know what it's like to be hungry, to be in want. I've had plenty of really bad times. And I've also experienced what it means to be well-fed and, and to have things. I know how both of them feel, and I have learned to be content in either position. That is what we need to do if we are going to have true freedom in Christ. We need to embrace the fact we are free to be content without anything else, content where we are. And I know some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I understand you need to be content when you're poor, but why would you need to learn to be content when you're rich? Well, it's because having a lot of possessions does not automatically make you content. Because the source of our contentment is not in our things. It truly is in the security that we have of knowing that we are going to be taken care of by a God who loves us. A God who has adopted us. A God who will provide for us. A God who will protect us. Paul's saying, man, I learned to be content when I'm struggling, but I also needed to learn it when I had plenty. And if we don't learn that contentment, there's always going to be this kind of a a sickness in our soul. We're always going to want something better, something flashier, bigger and better. You know, we used to play that. uh, Youth used to do that bigger and better game where they would go and exchange one thing for something that was bigger and better. and You know, it's a, it's a fun thing, but you can't allow your life to have that 
desire to have more than what you have. You need to learn to be content. Now, Paul didn't just talk about this in Philippians. You might remember in one of his other letters, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm here to tell you that you'll never find contentment until you find godliness. Paul says, we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And then he warns us in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin, ruin and destruction. Man, that's what being discontent will do for you. Foolish and harmful desires that plunge you into ruin and destruction. That's, that's a, a pretty strong statement. So why do we need contentment? Because whether we're rich or whether we're poor, whether we're hungry or well-fed, doesn't matter. If we are discontent, we will be unhappy, we'll be self-absorbed, we'll be ungrateful, we'll be never satisfied, we'll be empty. It's a miserable way to live. And it's a problem for a lot of humans. But you and I can be free to be content whether we have much or whether we have little. And Paul gives us that vision here in Philippians chapter 4. And he says, here's the beauty. Here's my second point. The beauty of contentment, as I kind of studied this in the last several weeks, I noticed there's two qualities here that actually will flow out of our life once we learn to be content. And the first quality I see in the Apostle Paul, the second quality I actually see in the church in Philippi. Now the first, the quality that I see in the Apostle Paul, I would call other-focused. Other-focused. Paul was more concerned about others than he was himself because he had learned the secret of contentment. Man, it would have been so easy for Paul to have a pity party. It is so easy for us in our day and age to have pity parties, to talk about how hard it is, or to talk about how lonely we are, or how cold it is, or how hot it is. Or in Paul's case, think about him being imprisoned. And he had a lot of reasons to complain, but he didn't do it. He was other-focused. He wasn't focused on himself. That is so needed, friends, in our society. People in Wenatchee need to see Christ followers that are more other-focused than they are self-focused. We become very self-focused. Self over others. Man, you see it all the time. Individual rights over the common good. It's just part of what we're dealing with right now. But if we can learn this secret of contentment, man, Paul was content because he wasn't distracted by himself, wasn't distracted by his rights or coveting or even complaining or demanding things. 
In fact, here, here's what I want to say. Paul, because he was content, was freed up to focus on other people. That's what I want people of Wenatchee First Assembly. I, I, I want us to be freed up during this time to serve other people. And we'll never get there if we're always focusing on ourselves. We need to learn to be content. Because see, we only have so much bandwidth, so much energy. You know what I'm saying? And when you stop obsessing on all the things you don't have and all the things that you want, man, it frees you up to have this energy to reach out, to minister to others, to serve others, to pour into other people. Think about that. The more content we are, the better that we will be able to love people around us. I believe that. You'll have more emotional energy. You'll have more time to listen to them, to care about them, to serve them. Contentment is a wonderful thing, not only for yourself, but for others. It helps us, as it did Paul, be other-focused. And that's a beautiful thing. And then the other quality of life that I see is not found in Paul, but in the church in Philippi, and that is their generosity. Notice this is not the first care package that they gave to Paul. They had given him care packages in the past. And it was a real special church. They loved Paul. Paul loved them. In verses 15 and 16, he recounts, Matt, there was no other churches that shared with me. Now, he wasn't focusing on the negative. He wasn't criticizing other churches. He was just making a statement, and he was affirming the church in Philippi. And when I was in Thessalonica, you were the ones that sent me aid, and you did it more than one time. Another place in 2 Corinthians where Paul's uh, talking about the special relief offering. And by the way, thank you for your generosity uh, for Convoy of Hope and what we're doing down in Haiti. I just uh, looked at last week's income summary. I just kind of glanced at it early this morning. And I see $600 came in last week to add to the 6000 that we sent the week before to send a convoy of hope to help people in Haiti. So thank you. I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I know that when I talk about generosity because you are a special church and you are generous as well. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the very same thing that we did recently. We took a special relief offering, but this time it wasn't an earthquake in Haiti. It was a famine in Jerusalem. People were hungry. There was a famine. And Paul in 2 Corinthians refers back to the church in Philippi. And he says, your overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Did you catch that? It didn't say they were a prosperous church with lots of cash reserves. And so they were able to help the people in Jerusalem. Paul says, you were joyful and out of your poverty, you gave generously. It has to do with contentment, friends. Those people in 
Philippi weren't well off, but they loved to give. It wasn't a duty to them. It was a joy. And if you're not a content person, if I'm not a content person, I will not enjoy giving. And I won't give much. Because I I don't feel like I have enough to give. If I'm always wanting more for myself. But the people of Philippi had learned this level of contentment. Again, not because they were rich, but because they understood God's grace. Oh, friends, when you really grab a hold of that concept of God's love, his grace, his goodness, that frees us to be content, to give, and to bless others in a really awesome way. Contentment made Paul outward-focused. Contentment made the church of Philippi generous. And here's how I'd sum it up. When we are content, it frees us from the prison of ourselves so we can turn outward toward others. That's what our community needs to see right now. Yeah, I've quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer several times in this series. I want to refer to him again because I love it. Bonhoeffer always called Jesus the man for others. Isn't that cool? The man for others. Bonhoeffer never saw Jesus just as a selfish way of, of, you know, having his own salvation experience. He always saw Jesus as the man for others. In other words, his entire life was devoted for the good of others. And it's not the kind of people we want to be. Well, the third thing here is the secret of contentment. You've heard this scripture many, many times. The secret comes in verse 13. I can do all this. What's he talking about? He's talking about the things that we just unpacked here. That whether he's (laughs) hungry or well-fed, whether he's poor or rich, whether he's sick or healthy, whether he's imprisoned, or not imprisoned. He can be content. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. That verse is about contentment. That's the secret of contentment. And that's ironic that the word is content. You might remember, this is probably 10, 12 years ago, there was this Australian author. Her name was... um, Not um, Rhonda, Rhonda Byrne. And Rhonda Byrne wrote this book called The Secret, The Law of Attraction. And Oprah loved it and promoted it and millions of people bought the book. But it was exactly opposite of what Jesus wants us to be. It's exactly opposite of what the word of God tells us. This book taught about how if you focus your thoughts and your energies you can change your reality to fit your will. Paul says, no, I don't care. This lady can sell millions of books. It's not true. The word of God teaches the opposite. Paul's saying the secret is actually changing your will to fit your reality. 
changing your will to fit your reality. I don't have everything I'd like, but I'm content. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but it's going to be a good day. See, Paul describes what this means, and we learned some things about that. That's a powerful scripture. Um, it's a process. Notice what he says. I have learned to be content. So don't be hard on yourself if you're still struggling with this. It's a process. It's nothing that just happens overnight. You know, you can't just pray and all of a sudden, you know, you're content. Contentment is a skill. It's a process. It takes time for you and I to develop. It doesn't happen overnight. Martin Luther said, next to faith, this is the highest art to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. Even Luther knew the importance of contentment. But it's a process. You walk through it. You feel the the pain. You actually experience God's faithfulness in the midst of your poverty, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your grief. And Paul says, I've learned that. It's, It's a process. So it's a process for us. We're learning, right? So I would study the Word of God every Sunday morning. Secondly, it's not just a process. It is a perspective. What lens are you looking through? Are you looking through the lens of God's Word? Are you looking through the lens of some news source that you watch? Are you looking through the lens of your own feelings? All through this letter, we've learned that Paul reveals a certain perspective that he has. Paul viewed this life here on earth as temporary, as only a preview to the main event. Now, does that make sense? All through the letter, we've seen he talks about another day that's coming. Another day when Jesus Christ will return and put an end to history as we know it. He will make all things right. He's promised us. Justice will prevail and eternity will begin. And Paul is inviting you and I, and we need to remind ourselves daily, this world is not our home, friends. We're just passing through. Uh, This is not the main event. Man, if we can get that perspective that this life in light of reality is, is very temporal, it changes everything. I've mentioned it several times. I want to mention it again. If you've asked Christ into your heart, your citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this broken world will never be fixed through earthly governments. It just won't. This broken world will only be fixed. Our suffering will only end at that day that Jesus comes again. And if the real thing is yet to come, that means we have to continue to be patient. Again, it's a process, and there's a perspective. You know, you kind of need to learn to play the long game. Man, you know, all of us, most of us are really bummed about 
the Huskies' lack of performance. Hey, but it's one game. We got a whole season ahead of us. You see what I'm saying? You got to look at a bigger picture. Don't just get focused on the United States of America in 2021 and put all your cards on that table for that year. Man, you got to look at the long game. Our citizenship is in heaven. Things are going to be okay. That, friends, will help you and help me be content. To be content. Above all, and I think you realize this, but let's remind ourselves, this whole thing, contentment, yeah, it's a process, it's a perspective, but the most important thing for us to remember is it's a person. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Learning the, I hate to say the secret of contentment. I I don't like that word secret really, but learning to be content is mostly about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Which brings us to this really famous verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have we seen that quoted by athletes at the end of a ball game? Because they jumped up and caught the ball and their team won. How often do we see that, you know, on someone's forehead or on a sign? Man, that amazing fourth quarter comeback. I can do all things through Christ. No, really, it's when you lose that particular game and you're on the other side of the field crying like the Husky fans are today. Sorry. (laughs) That's when you can say, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can have a right perspective about this. I can be content. Some of us need to ask God for this new perspective that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's about learning to find contentment and joy in hard places. That's, that's what Paul was saying here. The only way I've been able to be content in hard times, in disappointing times, in times when my guy didn't get elected, in times that I've got to do things I don't want to do, the only way that I can be content is through Jesus Christ. He is our strength, friends. The person of Jesus. Christ has the strength and he wants to give it to us today. Our strength comes from Jesus. Our life comes from Jesus. Last night, about 10.30, I was sitting at the Seattle airport and I was reviewing my notes. And just, it just popped into my head The scripture in John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you're the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Our contentment is only going to come as we abide in Jesus. Apart from him, we will never be content. If, if we want to live this beautiful life of contentment that's others-focused and generous, we've got to 
stay plugged into our power source. And that's why I just want to encourage you, be in the word daily. Be in prayer continually. If you want to be content, you have got to walk close to Jesus. Spend time with him each day. Listen to his voice. Meditate on what he's saying to you. And when you feel that discontentment coming on, and we all will this week in some area of our life, when we're tempted to fill the emptiness of our discontentment with some kind of temporal thing, we just need to take a deep breath and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And ask the presence of the Holy Spirit to fill us. Because our strength only comes through Jesus. Allow his presence to fill you, to energize you. We need that power for contentment. We need that power for peace or for joy or many of the other things that we've talked about this summer. Paul learned it from sitting in a Roman cell, Roman jail. You and I have an opportunity to do it right now in in our present circumstances, during our frustrations, during the prisons we face. What a great opportunity we have to learn to be content, to be free. Again, it doesn't mean complacency. It doesn't mean that you don't want some things to be different than they are. It doesn't mean that you don't even work toward those things. But it means when certain things don't change, you're okay with it. Because through Christ, you learn to be content. You've learned that really, in the big picture, it doesn't matter. You'll be here 60, 70, 80, 90 years. In the picture of eternity, man, all these earthly things just fade away if we can have that perspective. We know in all things, it's the will of Christ for us to give thanks. We need to trust the goodness of God. True freedom, true freedom comes through your trust in Jesus, not just for your salvation, but for your very life. And as we've learned out of the book of Philippians during these past three months, there's six things that we are free to do, whether we're in jail, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, whether things are going our way, whether prayers are answered, whatever. We have true freedom to be encouragers. We have freedom to suffer because Christ is inviting us into his suffering. We're free to shine. Remember that message? We're free to shine. We're free to be confident. We're free to have peace. And in chapter 4, we've learned we're free to be content. Let's bow our head in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to have peace. We want to be encouragers. We want to shine. We want to be content. But God, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So as we conclude our time together, we just pause and we ask that your Holy Spirit will help us to plug in
to the source of our contentment, the source of our peace, the source of our joy, the source of our ability to suffer with the right attitude. And Lord, that source is Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that each one of us in this room, each one of us watching on live stream today, will take just a moment right now, recommit ourselves to serving you, to trusting you, to being your disciples. Help us to learn whatever we're facing. Even though outwardly, we might have some restraints, we might be in prison, but Lord, inwardly, like Paul was, we have experienced true freedom and we can do all things through you, the one who gives us strength. Amen, amen.